This world, this world we live in, it's a fallen and broken place, isn't it? Anyone who tells you differently, they're either delusional or they're selling you something. One in six. That's the current statistic. One out of every six men. Think about that for a second. One in every six men. One in six. Look around you. Right now. Look at the cars driving down the freeway with you on your way to work. One in six. Or look around you at the men at the gym right now. One in six. Or out the window in your neighborhood. One in six. And think about that. Think about these men. One out of every six. Who are these men? Who are the one in six? Well, that's the current estimated figure of the men who have experienced sexual abuse in childhood. Yeah, one in six. One out of every six men have experienced sexual abuse in some form during their childhood. One in six. Ernest Hemingway wrote, The world breaks everyone, and afterward, some are strong at the broken places. And this fallen and broken world, it has fallen hard on one out of every six men and broken them. And the hard truth is this, not all of those have found their strength yet in those broken places. Now, a lot of the one in six, those broken places have shattered and spread and marked their lives. The abuse they experienced in childhood has only wrecked and hijacked their adulthood. And the damage from their past has led to more brokenness and more broken places. It's littered their lives with broken emotions, broken relationships, and broken behavior. For a lot of the one in six, the sexual abuse from their childhood broke and shattered their adult life into shards of confusion and anger and sexual struggles. One in six. It's a heartbreaking figure. Today, we'll talk to another one of their number. Today, Adam and Shelley sits down with us to share his story as a member of the one in six. And his story is the story of a journey. A journey from abuse, to denial, to struggle, to revelation, and eventually, to healing. This is Flatirons Men's Community Pastor Dan Foote, and we continue our conversation on sexual abuse with another one of the one in six. Damaged. The Adam Michelli story today on Wake Up Call, the Flatirons podcast for men. You are one of my favorite people. You you exude joy to me. It's like you always you always have a smile on your face. You always have a funny story, 
and you make everybody feel welcome. Wow, that's very nice. Yeah. <laughs> so here, now we got you in here, and are, are you afraid? No. Good. No. Good. I'm with my buddies. That's right. It's true. <laughs> that's how we do it. Makes it easy. Yeah. So as we, uh, first of all, I like to get to know, I, I mean, I know you, but I like others to get to know you. Sure. So, Adam and Shelley, you grew up here, yes. right? Tell, tell us about your family. So, born and raised in Louisville, Colorado. Yeah. Uh, my parents were both born in Denver. Um, my, Italian family. On my father's side, yes. My, yeah. my, my father's parents um, and grandparents came from Italy. Yeah. And then on my mom's side, my, grand, my grandfather was, a, was born and raised in Delta, Colorado, and his father was born and raised in Creed. So, on that side of the family, it goes a long way back. Okay. So, you grew up in Louisville. Yep. Graduated from Centaurus, right? So that's an interesting story. Um, okay. You know, growing up in Louisville was such a small town. You knew everybody. Right. Right. It was one of those towns where, um, you know, you, th- you threw an egg out of a car. They know the five kids that could have done it, and the cops just went to your house, you know? And, <laughs> and how many times did they show up at your house? Oh, all the time. Yeah. You know? Um, and when I got in high school, I was at Centaurus, and yeah. then I went to Fairview. Um, but then I actually went to a charter school called Quest Academy, and that's where I graduated okay, from. Okay, where was Quest Academy? It was in Boulder. They had okay. one in Boulder, Gun Barrel, and Broomfield. Okay. Yeah. So that's where, but you still hung with Eric Vivi and. Yeah. 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 And, and you basically, didn't you just go to their class reunion? I went to Centaurus's high school <laughs> <laughs> reunion because they're the only ones that will invite me, you know? Um, Quest won't invite you? Well, Quest was so small, they're not going to okay. do high school reunions. But Centaurus, all those kids, I, I went to elementary, middle, and right. part of high school with. Um, and because I know them so well, that they've always included me, which is a big honor. Otherwise, I would never have a twenty or 10 or 20-year high school reunion. Right. And so. your career... As mm-hmm. as an adult, yeah, has been varied. I mean, yeah, I I I discovered two years ago in Africa when you went with us and we 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 did the the trip out to Africa to conduct those crucibles uh, over in Kenya and Uganda that you were the director of photography on Temptation Island. Yeah, so <laughs> that was so you were in Hollywood for a while. I was in Hollywood. Um, I went to school in Arizona and then moved out to California to uh, actually get a job with my brother-in-law, who's in production, and ended up meeting these two girls, Casey and Don, who worked for MTV, and they right. hired me as their casting assistant for a two-week temp job. Right. Um, I didn't have a driver's license. <laughs> and uh, they asked me, do you have a driver's license? Because you said, said, of course I have a driver's <laughs> license. Because um, I'm not going to turn down the job, you know? Right. So uh, they hire me, and every day they'd send me to, you know, they don't have, they have Starbucks, but they have uh, uh, Peaberry. Right. They would send me to get coffee, and I'd run. I mean, it was like four big <laughs> L.A. blocks, you know? And I would run down there, get all the coffees, come back. Sometimes they'd send me again, and that was just my job, you know? Right. Recording tapes, duplicating tapes, and getting coffee. And one day they they pulled me in the office. They're like, "Are you really into fitness?" And I'm like, "No, why?" And they're like, "Well, we watch you run out the window. Like sometimes we order coffee and we're not even thirsty. We just like <laughs> they want to see you run." Yeah. They're like, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I don't have a driver's license." <laughs> <laughs> so the next day I get called into the VP of Viacom. Um's office and I'm thinking, "Oh, great. Like, You're gonna you know, fired. I signed all these paper." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she's like, tell me the story about your driver's license. So I told her, and she started laughing. Why didn't you have a driver's license? Um, I lost it from a DUI. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> so that's it. She's like, you know, 
that's the kind of people we want working here. But I love that, that instead of bringing you in to chew you out and fire you, she said, the, this is the kind of people we want. Yeah. She actually asked me, she's like, what do you want to do here? And I was like, I don't know. I'd love to go on a reality show. She's like, all right, which one? I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was really funny. And then it just kind of steamrolled from there. I just went up to a camera operator and then started getting jobs from other networks. And right. The last big one was Fox Temptation, Temptation Island. Island. Three seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Then what brought you out here, back out here? So I had a kid in high school with my wife, Megan. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were with me in California at the time, but I would leave all the time for long periods to film shows. And she left and came back to Colorado. She yeah. did not like living in LA. And she's like, you know, you're doing great, but I can't live here alone. Yeah. So she came back. Um, so I stayed. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so I realized, you know, my father was... I mean, he's just amazing, the yeah. best father. And he would have never just always left me behind and things right. like that. So I I always said, I want to be just like him. I need to leave. So I left L.A., came back here, and got my real estate license. Okay. Yeah. So let's back up. Let's talk about you and Megan. Okay. And uh, what, what you guys met in high school. Mm-hmm. Was she at Quest or was she at Centaurus? Well, she was at or Fairview. Fairview. <laughs> she was at Fairview when I met her. Yeah. And she was at Fairview when I got her pregnant. Okay. Um, and how old were you guys when that happened? So she was 16 years old. Yeah. Um, I was 29. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was 18. And then, so what happened when, when she got pregnant? Can you walk us through that story? Like, I mean, how did that sure. fall? You're 18, you're still a senior in high school, right? Um, or had you graduated? No, I was a late graduator oh. by a year. <laughs> Okay. That's why I went to Quest. Okay. (laughs) So you're a junior in high school. So I'm a junior in high school. Um, You know, I'm told we're going to have a baby. Yeah. um, Which is just completely scary. Oh, yeah. I was a kid. I was screwing around with friends. Right. um, Essentially living on my own. I always had the support of my parents, but I just left the house. Yeah. Um, I wasn't a really good rule follower. um, And I definitely wasn't a father. Right. I didn't know anything. Yeah. so it was, it was a lot of fear and a lot of bad advice from friends on how right. to do things. And I just didn't seek out good people to help guide me through the process. So um, I was not a really um, onboard parent right. um, for the first few years, actually, of his life. Yeah. When I think about it now, I look back, and I'm just like, man, I wish I, I, wish I would have done more. You know? Right, right. Um, and she took care of the kid, and I was very um, minimal in, in their lives. I mean, she always pursued me and tried right. for all these years. So she never gave up. Right. Um, then when did, when did all that converge then, and you guys got married? And So when I moved back from California, she was living with her parents. I moved in with some buddies. Right. And I went right back to being kind of a single guy. Right. Um, and then something just came over me. Um, where I've realized, like, what a great woman this is. Yeah. You know, she's she's put up with this immature kid mm-hmm. for many years, and she sees all the bad things that, you know, that I have. Right. She also sees all the great things that I have, and that's why she always pursued. Um, and I didn't want to lose that. Right. And I knew I would. So then I asked her to marry me. And, and then how that. old were you when you guys got married? So how many was, years had gone by from... 
the first time at 16 when she's pregnant to when you guys got married? So my son was almost five years old. Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he was our uh, ring bearer. Yeah. And uh, we got married in 2002, so we've been married for over 15 years now. Okay. Yeah. That's great. When did you find Jesus? Um, I've... I've had Jesus in my life a, a very long time. Um, my my parents always went to church. Yeah. Um, but I would say the earliest that I really remember uh, is when I met um, Laura Vivi in middle school, and she invited me to go to youth group. And uh, Paul and Diana Bruner were our youth leaders at a Foursquare church called Freshwind Fellowship. So then, uh, as we look at your story, you know, one of the things we wanted to come in and talk about was just. Uh, some of the tough stuff that you you walk through, sure. And we're gonna we're gonna jump into that. Are you? I'm are ready. You, are you ready? Let's do it. So, uh, talk talk to me about the uh, the first time that about how all this fell into place, where you really got hurt as a kid. So, um, I always knew that there had to have been something that's happened in my life that's kind of helped a series of. Um, just my whole process of how I think sexually right. um, and how I've acted over the years. Um, and it was about a year ago um, at a crucible where a good friend had was, was sharing an exercise. And all of a sudden this, I mean, like all these memories. Like, I mean, just like the floodgates open. floodgate open. I just had blocked it, I think, for so long out of embarrassment and fear. Sure. Um, and it just really hit me. And it wasn't like, I mean, it was so vivid and just like, wow, this is, I remember this. Right. Um, and so I was about 10 years old. Really quick though, huh? when at the crucible, yeah. like what, what happened to you? And like when that, when those floodgates opened, yeah. what did you do? I mean, did it just train wreck you? Yeah, it train wrecked me and I walked out. Right. The scary part for was, was thinking, I don't know if I should tell my wife. Right. You know, again, it's the fear thing is I don't know if I'll be accepted. And um, when I called her, the first thing she said was, um, I've I've always known something happened. Yeah. You know, and she just was so compassionate and loving and and uh, it just made it really easy to accept even for myself knowing that my partner yeah. accepts me. So let's back up. You said this happened when you were 10. Yep, 10 years old. Can you walk us through as much as you as much as you want to. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um so it was with a uh, a neighbor kid, he was uh, a few years older than me. Um and 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 really I mean it could have been a lot worse mm-hmm. for sure. Um but it was just um one of those scenarios where I think somebody was very curious and um was able to talk to someone younger who looked up to him to you know, that he could kind of take advantage in that sense right. to, to try to, you know, f- figure some things out of his curiosity. Right. And so after this, was this something that happened over a period of time? Was it just once or? It was just once. Yeah. Yeah. And then what did it do to you in that moment at 10 years old? Well, I remember having a, a huge fear, right, that like my friends and family would find out. Right. And, you know, everybody would think that, you know, I was a or a um, and that was a huge fear thing. Cause you know, especially growing up uh, back in the day a little bit, sure. you know, kid got a little piece to, 
to uh, pick on you, that was a big thing. All right. And that's kind of how you were defined forever. Right. Um, So there was a huge fear. Like, is he going to say something? You know, should I tell somebody? But if I tell somebody, what if I'm not liked? It was a big worry of just wouldn't be accepted and I'd just be this, you know, a a piece of Yeah. And so you didn't tell anyone. Never told anyone. Yeah. And held that and kind of suppressed that. Uh, Then how did you, how did it, start to kind of come out because um, what happens is when we suppress stuff, it's going to yeah. come out. Oh, yeah. And and just I think through my my attitude, right? Like I always, I think like looking back, right? I mean, this kind of just came to me, but I was thinking about this and I think that's probably why I acted the way I did is I probably wanted attention mm-hmm. or I wanted to fi- someone to figure it out in a way. Right. Um, but instead, I just, I, I literally treated like it never happened. It right. was just a made-up thing, and I would never accept that it happened, and I was never going to tell anyone. Um, and then in doing that, you know, it really messed me up sexually. Right. You know, uh, pornography and um, dating. You know, I just I, – I think I lost a piece of my heart that actually cared about people. Right. Um, and then it was more of a thing of trying to find something to give me power, mm. you know, or value. Oh, right. this is Right. This girl likes me. This is this is a way I can find value. Right. Um, so when did that first kind of start? Was it at, at ten years old? Like, I'm, I'm. What I'm hearing is that pornography was the first step. Right. Yeah. Pornography was the first step. But I would say from ten years old, I would have been in about fourth, fifth grade. Yeah. Um, when I was in middle school, I I ended up meeting a girl who was in my youth group. And I, so I actually lost my virginity when I was in middle school with, oh, wow. and, uh, and so that set the tone kind of right. early on of, um, you know, just chasing after girls mm-hmm. and having lots of girlfriends over the years. Um, yeah. And, Cause the, the brokenness that happens at 10 that, and the damage that's done sends you down another path yeah. where this is w- what is normal. Right. Well, and it's hard to just accept accept somebody and trust them. Right. You know. And what what's funny is I just never I never knew why 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 don't I trust people? Yeah. You know, like I always had this edge that you know someone's always has something to gain or just going to hurt you. Right. Um. So you you've had you had that. That's part of who you were. Yeah. From that moment on. Correct. Yeah. The, yeah. Someone's going to take advantage of you. Yeah. Men and women or. Yeah, really anyone. There was always a gain. Nobody, you know, it just was, yeah. it was hard to find anyone authentic. And I had friends that I grew up with and I trusted, but I didn't trust enough to tell them that. Right. Um, but honestly, like thinking back, I can't even, like all through the end of middle school and all through high school and on, I mean, I just, I, I literally forgot about it. And it was just more of this new person who I was. I was running around with a, a lot of crazy guys. Right. Um, so my life was very fast and very entertaining, and it was very easy to just mask over everything because there was always something going on for many years. What, what I am hearing, though, is that, that you know, lots of relationships, lots of uh, – a lot of, lot of distractions. Yeah. Um, masking, blocking – what happened in the past. Right. But you didn't even recognize that in the moment, though, did you? No. Yeah. No, in the moment, it was just, just, you know, flying off the, you know, off the seat, just kind of going with everything, going with the flow, and wanting to feel normal. And that was what was normal at the time. Did, as you're going through life up until a year ago, when these memories come flooding back, right. would they creep up at all or? or? So, 
I remember having a talk with uh, my wife before I knew about this, and we were talking about, um, you know, I told her, I was like, I think, you know, maybe something had happened to me when I was younger. Right. Um, so I, I kind of had this, like, feeling. Like, I think just through my spiritual journey, mm-hmm. it's, I'm getting to that point where I've kind of loosened up some of the calluses to, you know, right. reveal some truth. So I'm, you know, having, having these talks. And, and, and also, I was intentional trying to figure it out because, you know, through the marriage, there was a couple times I, you know, got caught looking at pornography mm-hmm. uh, by my wife. And that was, you know, for me, I didn't understand, like, why it was such a big deal. Right. You know, to her, it was like, you know, we're, like, I don't know what you're thinking. This might be over. Right. You're, that's cheating. And I just yeah. looked at it. I was like, I was looking at a naked girl. Like, you know what I mean? But that's because that's how, that's it how I viewed calloused. it. I, yeah. yeah. I never viewed it as anything like, oh, wow. You know, so for her, it's like, you know, you're trying to replace my image. Right. You know, so how does that make her feel? And I really, you know, really let her down and I really lowered her self-esteem, I'm right. sure. Um, and then, of course, I lied through my my teeth to try to defend myself out of embarrassment. Sure. I, I was not, you know. Yeah. Um, Dan sent it to me. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's just one of those things where you just you just jump to oh, protection yeah. mode. Yeah. And then, you know, then like a day later you come out, yeah, sorry. And, you yeah. know, you're like a little kid, you know, apologizing to your mom. And, you know, then I said the truth. And so then I was really in trouble. Right. You know? <laughs> right. So, but I always wondered, like, why do I do these things? I have a beautiful, amazing wife. Why would I do that? Yeah. Um, so there, I just knew there was always something broken in my head there. Mm-hmm. You know, something got wired when I was a kid, and uh, I haven't figured out how to rewire it. Yeah. Crucible has helped. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, have you sought other help, counseling, or? You know, for me, so Crucible is, has just really steamrolled everything. You right. Know, I, I, I actually have no problem telling um, people about it. What I found is the more open I am, and that's my therapy, the more yeah. open I am and telling people, and they see like, wow, he's he's not... He's not sitting here crying, telling about it, which there's nothing wrong with crying. Right. Because um, I have many yeah. times about it. But when I still have a happy life and a smile and, yeah. and I'm doing everything, yet I have all these things, I'm just not letting it define me anymore. Right. So now I've, I feel like I've, I'm definitely, you have submitted it in my life. Right. Um, I hate that it's happened. Yeah. But it makes sense. Sure. And I like knowing that, okay, here's why I've been this way. How am I going to be a better father and better husband across the board? Let me ask this. Has it helped Megan since that year ago when, you know, when the floodgates open, you remember, you tell her, did that help her in the understanding of the pornography struggles you've had over the years? And and where do you guys find yourself today? I think it helped. Um, I mean, it makes sense, right? It's like, okay. Okay. doesn't but erase anything. It doesn't erase anything, and that's not an excuse. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, and I oftentimes like to find excuses to kind of go to my point. Sure. So um, I've realized that that I can't do that. Um, and I think just the openness of our marriage has been really good. And I also think that um, our, our sex life – sorry, honey. I'm going to get graphic <laughs> here for a minute. Everybody be ready. No, um, <laughs> no but we've – you know, I've always just tried to, uh, you know, have the sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. For what purpose, though? Was it just for me because right. I wanted to? Or was there a deep connection? And, you know, so what I've learned from her through all, all this is, like, I've really lost this ability to stay connected. Mm. You know, the, the uh, 
you know, kind of the the wooing and and doting over each other and right. loving each other and you know forgetting like we've been married for 15 years so you take it for granted i take it for granted and then i'm i'm not pursuing her the way i used to to have right. her fall in love with me yeah. so i think since we've opened that it it's it's helped both of us mm-hmm. and then now we're in a place in our marriage where we're really working on just loving each other really well yeah. and always having that interest um and what I'm finding is it's it's it doesn't always have to be sexual. I mean, right. our conversations are better. Uh, everything it's just it's just been phenomenal, and I think it's letting go of some of that past. I mean, just go back to the discussing the damage that happens. Mm-hmm. Something gets broken at ten, at a real pivotal age. You're you're prepubescent, but you're already thinking about. I mean, that's just the way we are as humans. Oh, as, yeah. as we were growing, it's a real pivotal age for things to get off track. Right. And then I can't help. I'm, I'm, I'm playing dime store psychologist, but in an effort to keep that in a separate place that doesn't hurt you also puts all of sexuality in a place yeah. that's distant. You have these sexual experiences, but they're detached. That's what pornography is. Yeah. You're having a sexual experience, but you're having it with an image on a screen or in a magazine, right. and it's detached, and it is selfishly motivated. Yeah. And then how do you build that bridge back? How do those synapses get rehealed? Uh, and that's what sounds like what you're working through right now. Yeah, that's, that is that um, is what we've been working through and what I've definitely been working through um, because the last thing I want to do is have my wife feel like she is not attractive or I don't, that's not where my interest is. Right. Cause when I have looked at pornography in the past, I wasn't doing it as a replacement. Um, I think I was doing it as a, um, as a way to distract my mind from probably dealing with hard stuff. Right. And it was an easy go to. Um, it's always there. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. always there. And, um, so, so now it's just the, the more I'm staying in relationship with my wife and, and, um, and chasing after her, our, our relationship, I mean, it makes sense, right? Our relationship's right. getting good because I'm home. I'm helping clean. I'm helping be a part. I'm not running upstairs and hiding. I'm not being secretive. I'm not being, you know, right. distant. Because you're new on this this side of the journey. Yeah. Like, like a year. Yeah. Yeah. And you shared with me in Africa. Yeah. And, and it was, it's the thing that, you know, my heart breaks for you and yet – Knowing that once this gets out, there's healing down the road. Right. But it's a, it's a journey. It's a rough journey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's like a, a giant scar, right? We have so many of them on our, on our bodies. Yeah. And they're not, they're not pleasant, but it's still part of my skin. It's part of who I am, and I That's accept right. it. And uh, since then, I've found so much freedom yeah. um, in it. And, uh, you know, the, one of the biggest things, too, was my, uh, my, my son had, had been molested. So to be able to have a conversation about my experience with him, right? and now we're kind of on, you know, even playing field, right. it's allowed him to really be open and honest with me, and, and our relationship has, has, has just strengthened right? Um, because it, of that. Yeah, and it's so sad that that happened yeah. to him, too. But, but, but again, you're, he's, he's starting this, this journey, the healthy side of the journey, early, Yeah, and now he's got his dad right. who's guiding him in the process. You guys are kind of doing it together, and— yeah, yeah, and, that's, and if I could have that, you know, this process when I was 19 years old, right? You know, that's pretty awesome. But man, I'm so thankful it's happened when I was 38 because 
I, you know, I could carry this till I'm 70 and then try to deal with it. Sure. Hey, let me ask you this. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your son. It's just as far as like dealing with sure. that. How was that uh, to hear about that the first time? What did that do to you as a um, dad? I was still really young. He was he was pretty young as well. Right. Um, and it was devastating, you know, because at first I'm thinking, like, wait, what did what did you just say? Because it kind of came out in a joke context. Right. And I was like, hold on, but like, it's okay. Just talk to me here. And he kind of just said it. Um, and it was just like, you know, you don't want it to be true and you don't want a little kid to just make something up either. Right. But then at the same time, you don't want to, you don't want to shame them and make them feel like, oh, you're making this up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was still young. Uh, Megan was, she's two years younger than me, so she was very young. Um, and I called her up to the room and we started talking about it. And, uh, we just right away were like, all right. Because we knew who it was, and we knew what was going on, and we knew it would have a an impact on my family. Right. So we we just sat down and said, all right, we need to have some conversations. We're going to have to get to the bottom of this, and then we're going to have to make some changes. Right. Um, the hard thing for me was I've always been told by everyone and believed, like, have, have your kids at your house. Like, then you know what they're doing, right? When they're at someone else's home, right. they're under somebody else's supervision. You don't right. know what's going on. This happened at my house under my supervision. Mm. So it attacked me really hard of, I'm a bad father. I messed up. Right. And I really just f***ed my kid up. Yeah. No. So that was, that was a hard thing. I took all of it right away. And I think that's because of what happened to me. That's what, it was that protection mode. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where yeah. like, I'm, you know, I'll take all the blame. I'll take all the grief, you know, because I did not want my boy to hurt. Right. Um. And then there's worry, like, what is this going to do to him in the future? Right. And we're dealing with that now because he's almost 20. Yeah. But you're side by side with him. Side by side. Right. I remember I called him. I was kind of, I said, hey, I got to tell you something. He's like, what's that, dad? And I'm like, "Um, you know, I was was molested when I was 10 years old. And I just kind of came out. I was, I think I was driving home from the crucible. Yeah. And I'm just telling him. And he's like, oh, dad, you know, I'm really sorry that that happened to you. Um, You know, he's like. I, I love you. You're just, you're a great dad. Like, you're really good at beating yourself up, though, so make sure you don't. And, no. like, he just told me all the greatest things ever. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. And I think because we have that, that bond, our, our, our relationship has gotten a lot better. Yeah. Um, every, every year, because I'm realizing patterns that I have that create issues, and I'm fixing it. But the dialogue between us, especially now because of this, it's like, you know, it's just different. But that dialogue happened at the beginning. You know, the beginning. At, meaning that when he first told you the dialogue, oh, at, yeah. the dialogue at Gosh. almost 20 doesn't happen yeah. if you don't allow that. And there, you know, how did you like when you talked about sitting down and talk with him? Yeah. Like, how did you respond to him? So um, is, when he first that's told a great you, question. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think we probably told him, hey, you know, everything's OK. Mm-hmm. You know, we love you, you know, um, you know, we're going to take care of this and, you, and you know, we, we've got your back. I mean, we wanted to ensure that part to him. Right. Because um, I just didn't want him to feel, you know, I mean, what a courageous kid. He was mm-hmm. a young kid. Right. You know, probably like eight years old. And mm-hmm. he came out and said that, you know. So for him to have that kind of courage, it was like right away, you go to a melting part in your heart. Like, obviously, I wanted to hurt someone. Right. That's my first thing. Is, sure. Like, yeah, who but did you want this? to protect them. They're done, you yeah. know? Um, and it was more like, well, 
I've got this kid here. He can't see me act like that. He needs to see a dad that's present, but right. very, very, very firm and, and, and going to stand up and have his back. Right. Because I, like I said, I, I feel like I dropped the ball. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And I think that that happens a lot in life. You mm-hmm. might be the one home. It might be in your house. But, you know, if you're out back having a beer or you're watching TV, right. kids are around. So yeah. um, it's just a big caution to uh, – talk to your children so they can actually communicate that with you. Yeah, and because that is key. I heard this years ago that really affected uh, how I parented both of our, our kids. And someone said this years ago, kids are going to show you their their mouse before they ever show you their elephant. Mm-hmm. And they want to see how you react to the mouse. If yeah. you freak out about the mouse, you're never going to see the elephant. Yeah. So... In in these situations, if you're freaking out over the smallest thing, and everything becomes, you know, a major, any little thing becomes a you know mountain into a mole from a molehill, you're never going to see this stuff. And this is where I think the enemy does his best work. Mm-hmm. It's always in secret, and kids aren't going to share like your son did with you. Oh yeah, if. If you had reacted in other ways over the smallest things that he's able to share, right. and now you guys are walking together talking about your own elephants. And I think that's why I didn't ever want to share it was like watching reactions of what, like if somebody did something around your buddy, because you know, your friends were so pivotal in your life at that time, yeah. that when somebody did something, just how fast it was like that was used against you, yeah. and I didn't want that. And then my son, I remember when he, when he told me, he said it in a joking sense. Yeah. Like he threw a little bait out. Right. Just to see how that line would get. That picked. was the mouse. That was the mouse. He threw that mouse out. And it like, I remember just like thinking for a second, like, what did he just say? Yeah. And I was like, come here, buddy. And I was like, say that again. Nothing. You know, mm-hmm. then it gets a little fear. Right. And I was like, it's totally okay. I heard what you said. Everything's all right. And, uh, and then he just, yeah. he just let it out. Um, and you know we got him into we we you know we got got him into therapy we mm-hmm. got him a lot of help so he could talk. Um, I think we actually probably cared about it more than he did. I'll make sense for his parents, right? Uh, but even to this day, when we notice something, I'll bring I'll bring it up, and he's always in, allows that, right? Because um, you know we do it alone and things like that. But mm-hmm. he'll always say, "Dad, I'm not holding on to this like you are." Yeah, you know, and I'm just well, buddy. I, I love you, and yeah. I don't want to have the same effect it had on me. Right. Um, and now watching him go through the stages of of dating, you know, um, is it's challenging because you just want them to find someone to be happy. Yeah. But the coolest thing is the other day he called me for for dating advice. Okay. And that was just one of those moments that a dad, you're just like, all right, I must be doing something right. He just <laughs> called to ask me like. What should I do? Right. And uh, man, it was the coolest conversation I ever had with him. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're a year, a little over a year into this journey, mm-hmm. kind of dealing with it. Um, what? Where do you see kind of the the biggest benefit or the benefits from this? I think the biggest benefits from finding out, you know, having this realization of what had happened to me mm-hmm. was just having some answers of – you know, why, why am I like that? Cause there's times where I just felt like a monster or I, like I said, I just, I love people. You know me, Yes. but there was something where like, when you have a relationship, why, why wasn't I, you know, 
truly connected or mm. trusting. And so this has really answered a lot for me. Um, and th- the great thing is, is now if, you know, w- the gentleman who spoke that opened this up for me, mm-hmm. it took his leadership, his create, you know, his courage right. to come out and say something that was really hard. And I think that's what kind of broke that chain. Right. And it revealed to me. And now for me, like, I can own it. I can accept it. I'm completely fine with it. I actually feel like my life is better now knowing right. this. Um, and if I can have that same experience for somebody else and they can figure out something to happen yes. to them and they're not going to let that drag them down, then that's the greatest. And that's kind of my, my hope and goal moving forward in life is that I can be have enough courage to you know, talk about what had happened to me mm-hmm. because I think it happens a lot. Yes. And we, as men, hide it. And if we can reveal it, then we don't let it own us anymore. Ownership. That's what Adam Michelli was talking about, about being owned. And what does being owned describe? I mean, when we're talking about people? Yeah, slavery. People who are owned are slaves. And as Adam shared, a damaged path from sexual abuse leads to slavery. Where we're slaves to shame, slaves to fear, and slaves to sexual sin. But as we heard, bringing all of this out into the open breaks those chains. And the broken world, and the sin from that broken world, the sin that has damaged one out of every six men, can be healed. The bravery of these men from this damaged podcast series, men like Adam, they found healing by dragging their past into the light. Writer Ann Voskamp puts it this way, we live in a broken world and for the life of me, I can't get it all right. But Jesus, Jesus takes our broken messes and he makes them by his grace into a mosaic of grace. A mosaic of grace. All these little broken shards, these pieces of guilt and shame and heartache, Jesus can take them, all of them, and rearrange them into a beautiful picture, a mosaic of grace and hope. Are you one of the one in six? Do you know one of the one in six? Need some help? I'd like to encourage you to reach out to a trusted professional, a professional Christian counselor for help. And if you need some guidance in this process, reach out to our care ministry and set up an appointment to get the help you need in finding that trusted Christian counselor. You may also want to connect with SHIFT, a community of hope. SHIFT is a safe community here at Flatirons that meets each Friday a real Me Too community where all are accepted, loved, and cared for. You can find out more about Shift from the Flatirons website. And finally, you can find some great resources and help from oneinsix.org. That's oneinsix.org. It's an online resource dedicated to helping men deal with their past sexual abuse. Next week... We continue in our damage series with my good friend John Sliz. John sat down with us to discuss his past brokenness, his years of struggle that led to hope and healing. 
So all of this took place um, between pretty much the ages of nine and twelve. Um, there were some older uh, there were some older boys in my neighborhood, and um, one day they invited me to uh, go over to another friend's house to play. Mom, he had a he was as I recall he was only child of a single mom who worked and yeah um, unfinished basement and. Uh, Things went to um, sexual abuse fairly quickly. Hope you join us next week. This is Nan Foot, and this is Wake Up Call, the Flatirons Podcast for Men. <laughs>